Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Anybody ever been told no? Raise your hand if you've been told no. Everybody? That's disappointing. I was hoping that maybe somebody would say, no, I always get what I want. I mean, even the Rolling Stones knew you can't always get what you want. Have you ever been hurt when your parents could have prevented something, but they let you learn the hard way? Anybody have parents that let you learn the hard way because they knew, yeah, right, they knew the only way you're going to learn that is the hard way. They were still there. I remember when my kids were young and we moved into the parsonage, there was no pool, but there was a deck. And I was, well, I was either watching Nate or Chloe. Chloe. Chloe would have been five, Nate would have been zero, so I was probably watching Chloe. Um, they created, so we buy them this swing set, right? God blessed us with the finances to get a swing set. And you would think that my daughter and son would go out to the swing set, because I think Nate now is like three, uh, would go out to the swing set and use the swings and go down the slide. You would think they would use a swing set as a swing set. No, no, not my kids. They turned it into American Ninja Warrior obstacle course. <laughs> From the deck, jump on the rope, they pulled the swings up so you couldn't use them as swings. And I mean, it was like this crazy thing. And I, I remember thinking one day, watching Nate or Chloe go to jump off that deck. And it was only like three or four feet high, but high enough that they you know, could twist an ankle or break an arm or something. And then I thought, I will not be that parent. I will allow my kids to get bumps and bruises and scrapes because that's what they need. We don't do our kids a service when we protect them from everything in the world. We've got to allow them to grow and to develop. The good news is they didn't break anything, um, but sometimes as a parent, you have to let your child get hurt. I was sitting with, uh, with one of my kids, I, I won't name them, and um, actually I've sat with all of them now, it's kind of said the same thing, they turn about 13 or 14 years old, and I sat down, I'll sit down with them, and, and this is not the facts of life talk, because if you wait till 14, you're really doing a terrible job parenting. Uh, but it's sort of a talk that says, hey, you're, you're, now, you're now a young man or a young woman. You're, you've, you've, you're moving up in, in the world, and you're growing up. And I haven't taught you everything I know, obviously, especially as a pastor. I keep teaching and teaching and teaching. But I have probably taught you everything you need to know to live a happy and healthy successful life. By the time they're 14, you should have given them the tools where they can make good decisions and they can live happy and healthy. And so now our relationship is beginning to change, son. I'm going to let you make, daughter, I'm going to let you make some 
decisions, and you might make some wrong ones, and then you'll pay the consequence, and we'll work through that. Folks, that's very much Abba Father. God is our daddy, and, and he allows things to happen in our lives. And here's the interesting thing. Because God is sovereign, because God is sovereign, the only way anything happens in your life is if he allows it. I want you to just sit on this for a spell. The only way anything happens in your life is if he allows it. That's both troubling and comforting all at the same time, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all through him might believe. He was not, John was not that light. He was sent to bear witness of that light. Um, we're getting somewhere. That was the true light which gives light to every man that comes into the world. He was in the world. This light, Jesus, is who we're talking about. And the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him, I might say, yet. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you find that Jesus was often rejected by those who should have embraced him. The religious ones, the wise ones, the smart ones pushed him away. But as many, there were some that did receive him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning and you have called on Jesus to be your Savior, you have the absolute right to call yourself a child of God, and you have the right to call God Abba. He is your dad. It is a relationship that is unparalleled in the world. It's incomprehensible without the Holy Spirit of God to reveal it to you, but it is amazing to have God as your dad. Man, I believe that this is one of the teachings this year that will transform this church if you will get it from your head to your heart, the fatherhood of God to those that call on Christ. It's an amazing thing. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And I want to make sure that I, that I explain something here to you that, that I don't rush past this. If you are here this morning and you are trusting in anything else but Jesus Christ alone, you are not a Christian. If you're trusting in Jesus plus your baptism, you're not trusting in Jesus, you're trusting in self. And ultimately, that's what religion is about. Religion is about trusting in self. Someone said it this way. I wish I coined it, but somebody else did. Religion is man's way of reaching God. Jesus is God's way of reaching man and is far superior than man's way of reaching God. And so this statement, I want you to, I want you to think about it. Trusting in Christ alone will make you a child of God. Do you know him? Have you trusted in Christ alone? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal savior? The Bible in Romans calls Jesus Lord, capital L. That means he is God in the flesh. That word Lord means supreme one. Have you recognized who Jesus is? 
I just read a passage of Scripture that explained it very clearly. Jesus is the Word of the living God and the living Word of God made flesh. And He died on a cross for our sins. He paid the ultimate penalty that we all deserve and He rose from the grave. And this is how you become a child of God. In John 3, it talks about you are born again. And we all need a new start in life, don't we? Well, if you haven't trusted Jesus, this series on Abba Father will ultimately not benefit you because God is not your Abba. He's your creator. Without Christ, God is not your Father. He's your creator. But when we trust in Christ, that position shifts from just creator to Father. I had a funeral service that I was honored to speak at yesterday. I didn't know the people. Those are always very difficult. But I had, I had my message prepared, and, I, and I, was, uh, I was getting ready to go over there, and I came over here to get my stuff, and I went up to my upstairs office here, and I'm getting ready to print out my, my sermon. And the Lord said, yeah, that's the wrong one. Listen, the funeral's at 2.30. This is about 20 of 2. So you, need to preach, you need to preach your Advent message, message, expect Jesus in your pain. You need to preach that Advent message because they need to know Jesus. They need to know the comfort that is in Jesus in this darkest and most terrible time in their life. They need to know that it's a relationship, not a religion, that will bring them peace and give them the answers that they're searching for. And so I'm like, really, Lord? You couldn't have done this yesterday? And uh, he probably did, but I wasn't listening. Folks, you need Jesus, and you need God as your father. And when you have God as your dad, and you understand that he is the best dad you've ever had, it will change your life. It will. It has to. I sit down with my kids and I say, listen, I love you. I love the fact that you're doing well. I love that, you're, you're, I love that Chloe's going to college. I love that Nate's doing well in school this year and, and that he was my quarterback on my football team and that we went to the playoffs. And, and, and I love watching him develop leadership skills. And, and, and I love Chloe working with kids. And, and I love Kirsten's heart for others and her joy and her laughter. But listen, man, ultimately, it's not your performance and it's not your success that matters. It's just this. You are my child. And I love you no matter what. Because you're my kid. We need more parents like that. Too many parents love their kids' success, and they don't love their kids. They live vicariously through their children when they just need to love their children. Listen, there's nothing wrong with challenging them. There's nothing wrong with developing. Obviously, you need to. If you aim for nothing, Pastor Z always said, you'll hit it every time. Teach them to aim for things. But make sure they know there's always going to be a landing where you're going to be there for them. Do you know God as your dad? You know, when I was, um, when I was reading this, these passages of Scripture, particularly this one, when they came to a place which is called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. This is Jesus. Now he's about ready to go to the cross. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. For people that complain there's cliques in churches and the in crowd and the out crowd, can I just keep sending you to Jesus to ask him why he didn't take the rest of the 12 with him? I mean, how unfair was it that he just took Peter, James, and John? Folks, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can. Y'all need to get over yourselves. 
You need to make it about Jesus, not about you. And you need to make it about what can I do to bless my church and less about what can my church do to bless me. Man, we got things so upside down. Anyways, thank you, Lord. He, uh, he, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus, God in the flesh, recognized the authority of God the Father. God's talking to God, saying, if it's possible that the hour pass from me, Lord, let it be. Lord, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, this is going to hurt going to the cross. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Only Brawl Chandler, are you tracking with me? This is the Passion Week of Christ. He is in such distress. The Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. The Bible says he fell on his face. He fell to the ground. He, he is so overwhelmed with the, with, the, with the future that has been laid out for him. Talk about vision. His vision was pain and suffering, but he saw beyond that. He saw beyond that to the joy that was set before him. But in this moment, it was difficult for him to see the joy, wasn't it? In this moment, he saw that cross looming dark over his life, and he said, Abba, Father, here's the sovereignty of God. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Here's the position of man, the one that we should all take. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Friends, that's the sovereignty of God. As I was studying this series, I love how Vine... um, describes this word Abba. Uh, I've challenged you to understand that Abba is like a, it's a child, it's like a child to a father, daddy. Here's what Vine says, I love this. Vine's just like the super intelligent biblical scholar. Abba is the word framed by the lips of infants and betokens unreasoning trust. That's what Abba is. Abba is Chloe before she realizes that dad doesn't know everything. Right? You know when your kids are little? Daddy, 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 daddy. Like, you could do everything, daddy. Like, you're dad. And then as you grow older, it becomes dad or father. And he says this. He said, father expresses an intelligent apprehension of the relationship. The two together express the love and intelligent confidence of a child. And in most cases, when you see the word Abba, you see the word Father that falls close behind it. This amazing love and trust of a child coupled together with the intelligence that understands that unlike this daddy, that daddy never will fail and he will never disappoint because he is sovereign and he is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Folks, it's an amazing thing. So our childlike trust of God is, is so important, but so too is our intelligent trust of God. And today I'm going to ask you to kind of put on your thinking caps to try to get some things from your head into your heart. We're going to look at both ideas 
And we really need both to understand this teaching. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, by the, uh, you will die. But by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the what? Now, this is, this is older, you know, and this is how I was taught in English. When you don't have a, like a reference, whether it's a man or a woman, you always use the masculine. That's how it used to be. But apparently that's offensive. But that's how this was written. So when he says, you are the sons of God, he means sons and daughters. He's not being chauvinistic. He's just being grammatically correct. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Some of y'all, listen, man, when I talk about, when I talk about knowing God as your dad, man, this is what I'm talking about. You live in fear. You live in bondage. And yet when you begin to understand from your head to your heart that God is your dad, man, that's called relief. And you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, present tense, the children of God. And if children, then heirs. That's the vision, that's the hope. Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Listen, man, there's some prosperity preachers out there. They tell you, you're not going to suffer. You should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'm not sure you'll find that. No, I know I'm not. You will not find that in the Bible. That's made up. But it can be made up in spiritual terms to make you feel like it's true. If indeed we what? 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 Gosh, that stinks. Suffer with him. We, oh, but this part doesn't. We will be glorified together with him. Man, that's going to be so good. Abba, Father, Daddy, God. God is sovereign. Listen, this is the importance of understanding the sovereignty of God is that he has the power. Every morning, just about every morning I get up, I have a, a document in my Apple Notes and it reminds me that God is sovereign. And I, and I read something like this. God is sovereign. That means God has the power and authority to do whatever He wants, whenever He wants it, and is above the questions of man. God can do whatever He wants and allow whatever He wants, whenever He wants it, and He is above the question of man. But, here's the beauty, He, he allows us to question Him. He allows us to question him. He doesn't have to allow us to question him, but he does. Why? Because he's a good, good father. So much of the scriptures that we have tell us the why behind the what. God is not the dad that some of you grew up with that just simply says, because I told you so. Now shut up and go clean your room. Although maybe the clean your room part would be great. Um, He wants us to have understanding. There's three key words in the book of Proverbs. Knowledge, wisdom, and a lot of times we miss the third one. Understanding. Knowing something is different than knowing the why behind something. Knowing what to do is different than knowing why I should do it. Folks, 
God wants us to understand, but ultimately, at the end of the day, He is sovereign, and God, God does not answer to you or to me. We answer to Him. This is why I've stopped praying, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Forget that. The Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I just simply pray, God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit, it implies the agenda is mine, and I need His power to pull it off. When I say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, it implies the agenda is his, and I am his vessel that he's going to use to pull it off. The difference is submission. The difference is position. God is sovereign. There's so much in this passage that we read with Jesus at the the Garden of Gethsemane that's difficult to accept at times. Jesus, God the Son, asked God the Father to take the cup of suffering from him. Dude, I could preach on that for weeks. God the Father, God the Son asked God the Father to take the cup of suffering from him, and God the Father said no. I remember the first time I came back from my sabbatical after Kirsten's second bout with psychosis. You remember what I preached that day? It was a Sunday night. You remember what I preached? What happens when God says no? I had a Christian actually tell me, God always tells me, yes, God never says no. God never says no. God never says no. I'm like, really? Let me take you to Gethsemane. God said no to Jesus. God answers your prayers, but he doesn't always say yes. God said no to Jesus. Man, if God said no to Jesus, don't be surprised when he says no to you guys. God said no to Jesus. Who are we to think that God should say yes to us all the time? He answers your prayers, but he does not always say yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Here's Jesus asking God to take the suffering, but ultimately, what did Jesus do? He submitted himself to authority. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of God the Father, the Trinity, the Godhead. They each have roles. They are equal, but they have roles. And God the Father is the ruler. God the Son, He's the Savior. And God the Son submitted Himself to God the Father. Now let me ask you a question. When you submit yourself, does that make you less than? When Jesus submitted Himself to the Father in the the Garden of Gethsemane, did that make Jesus less than the Father? Absolutely not. He is equal with the Father in every respect. But He has a different role. We could preach on that for years. He says, he submitted him like he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes God says no, and that turns on the head every prosperity preacher that implies that God is your piggy bank or your genie in the lamp. He is not. We are not his God. He is our God. He is not beholden to us. We are beholden to him. And sometimes we get this terribly, terribly wrong. God is infinite in his wisdom, and he knows when suffering is necessary. God is infinite in his wisdom, and he knows when suffering is necessary. I told you, this, was, this is a tough message. I've been praying about this. Lord, help me get through this. When you understand God as your dad, though, suffering begins to make a little bit more sense. (sighs) 
Do you believe God is in control? I love that saying because it usually means this. God is in control, so everything is going to go my way. Like, well, God is in control, and what we mean is everything's going to go my way. Uh, that is not what God is in control means. It means God is in control. That's what it means. God is in control. <clears throat> I consider, this is Paul. Paul understood about suffering. Did he not? The Apostle Paul was the writer of most of the New Testament that we read in our Bibles. He was also a horrible person who condoned the murder of early Christians. That was Paul. He was a brilliant theologist. He was amazing. He was called by Christ to salvation and then by Christ to go and be a missionary. And in his calling was included the knowledge that he was going to suffer. Anybody ever studied the life of Paul? He knew before he said yes that he was in for a boatload of suffering. Now, Paul's not God. Is Paul God? He's, listen, I know this is sacrilegious, but Paul's just a guy. Paul's just a guy like Brother James. I mean, a godly, amazing man used by God, anointed by God. But Paul was just a man with baggage and hang-ups and hurts. He was just a man. He said this, I consider the sufferings of this present time that they are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be re revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God in other words this whole creation is a mess since Adam sinned the whole creation the earth is groaning for what it used to be and what it will be once again he goes on, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our own body. For we are saved. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? My hope is heaven above, guys. You were here last week. You, you were here when God gave me that word that we're going to keep asking Kirsten to say it again. Not because we don't understand her, but because we will. Oh, man, what a, what a glorious moment that was for me. I don't know if it was for you, but it was an awesome moment for me. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. This is the beauty of understanding the sovereignty of God and the power of God. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you go to God in prayer, sometimes the best thing you can do is be quiet. Let the Holy Spirit translate your heart. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the what of God? Listen, man, we don't have everything we ask of God. We have everything we ask of God according to his will. You follow? There's some people, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're watching playoff football. What a game last night. And there's the guys, they put the Philippians 4.13 eye black on. 
I can do all things through Christ with strength. I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And that's not what that passage means. It's according to his will, and it's about contentment when you lose the Super Bowl. I can do all things. I can, I can be content in all ways. Anyways, I digress. We know that all, here's, here's the crux of the matter, the sovereignty of God. We know that all things work together for good to all people. Is that what it says? You sure? Because, I mean, the way some preachers preach it, some people are going to be disappointed. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. God is in control. All things. Brother James was here, and he shared his story. He explained that uh, he had ended up in a mission. I don't know if you know what a mission is. It's a place where you've basically hit rock bottom, right, brother? You've got nothing left. And when you find yourself in a mission, you're, you're pretty much in a humble state of mind. Sometimes I'm sure there were people there that they were bitter and angry that they had to be there, but they had nowhere else to go. Things get difficult when we begin to understand that God is in control, and that doesn't mean that he fixes everything for us. What it means is he makes sure the things that are in our lives fix us. Did you catch that? God is in control. It doesn't mean that he fixes everything for us. It means he uses everything to fix us and to suit us to bring the glory of God to others. Even Brother Rumsey, if he had not walked the walk that he had walked, if he had not done the things that he had done up until he was 37 years old, God knew James Rumsey was coming to Christ before he came to Christ, and he made sure that he used all of his past, all of his baggage, to transform him into the man he is today so that he could transform others into the men they are today. Even our failings, God is in control. God is in control. God through Paul teaches us in Romans that we become the children of God, that God is in control. He also says that we will suffer, but as a child of God, we suffer with a sure and certain future that the suffering is nothing compared to the glory and joy that waits for us. God is sovereign, and this is a big deal. Listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get real with you. I know that will shock you guys. I'm going to get real with you. It was 1990-something, and I'm angry at God. Can anybody say that they've been angry at God? Anybody been angry at God? I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes, and so there are times I argue with God, and I get angry with God, and I was angry with God because I understood the sovereignty of God. There's people today, they're not angry with God because they don't have faith. They don't understand the sovereignty of God. But man, when you have faith, and you believe God can, and He doesn't, that's going to cause you some problems, isn't it? And I was angry that God didn't fix my child. I was angry, and I was calling him out. Because, mm. I mean, I'm a big man. Remember what I opened with? God is sovereign. 
He doesn't owe us an explanation for anything. He does what he will, when he will, because he is God. And so I had this confrontation with God. I'm driving down 93. I'm crying. I'm screaming. I'm yelling. And God reminds me very powerfully, with no uncertain terms, that he loves me. What? I'm yelling at him. I'm angry at him. How can you say you love me when you won't fix this? And for those of you that think this is not a big deal, this was a huge deal. Seven years old, waiting for her to walk, waiting for her to talk. And not finding any relief, no hope in sight. But he reminded me, oh boy, did he remind me. He reminded me kind of in a sort of, uh, you know when you cross the line with your dad? Both of my kids have done this to my wife. Usually when they get almost as tall as her, they start to think of her as just another kid in the house. And then they get fresh. You know? You know what I'm saying? And I love my kids. I love my wife more, but I love my kids. And so I grab both of them, so it's equal opportunity. I grab them by the collar. Don't you ever speak to my wife like that again. She might be your mommy, but she's my wife. Do you understand me? <clears throat> and pretty much I don't think either one of them ever did. Sometimes you cross the line with your dad. I did with God. And he went like this. How can you say, how can you ask me if I love you? I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And all these things that you're going through, all of these things, they work together for your good because God is good. The sovereignty of God is shown in verse 28. He works all things. Not some things, but all things. Not just your success, but your failure too. Not just the good things that happen to you, but the bad things that happen to you. This is a tough message. The bad things that happen to you, that other people did to you. God allowed it. Tell me he didn't. Prove to me that God did not have enough power to stop that person from hurting you. Now, I might be breaking some people's faith because you haven't thought about it, but the reality is, if he's God, he could have stopped it. But instead, God is so good that whatever has happened, when he comes into your life, boom, he turns it for good. He is so good and so light and so powerful that where he walks, the darkness that other men meant for you flees. Oh, it's an amazing thing. God is so good. And this is why we can both call him Daddy and God, Abba and Father, because intellectually we understand, but with the heart we need to believe. Intellectually, I know, I know all things work together for good, but in the heart I got to get to that Daddy place 
where I know if my dad is allowing me to jump off of that deck and I break my arm, that my dad is so good and loves me so much that there was a good purpose for it. And he takes the, he takes the bad and he transforms it into good. Listen, there's so many other things that play into that. God has allowed us a will so that we can love him freely, but he also allows us a will so that we can hurt others. If he didn't, we would be robots. I mean, there's so many theological layers to why and what God allows. But the one thing I want to leave you with today is this. If he allowed it, if he allowed it, whatever it was, never question that God is good. And he is so good that whatever it was he has allowed, he will transform it for your good. He will. He can't help it. It's his nature. He's awesome. He's God. And he loves you. The truth is the sovereignty of God means nothing happens that he does not allow. But whatever does happen, he will use for our good. God is good. He allows us to suffer for our good and the good of the world around us. I would challenge you to think about it like that. To understand that if in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can have the worship team come forward. If in the Garden of Gethsemane, God had said yes to Jesus, the Father had said yes to the Son, what would have happened to the world? What would have happened to the world if God had said yes to the Son? The world would have perished. Right? Um, Lord willing, next week we're going to walk we're going to walk through some biblical narratives that put this idea on full display for you. I can't leave it here. You have to come back next week. You have to see how God has been operating in the world and in the lives of his people. I started with just Jesus. Jesus' story. He left heaven, came to earth, the sovereignty and the power of God. And when he was on earth, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he fell on his face, and he asked, God, fix this for me. And God said, no. The posture of the Son is the same posture that we should take when we're praying or when we're going through troubles and we're going through trials. Listen, it's okay and encouraged to go to God because He is powerful and He is in control. And we can go to God and say, God, would you fix this for me? And listen, sometimes God says, yes, boom, and what an amazing thing. And we give God glory and honor and praise. But when God says no, or when God says wait, we must learn to take the posture of a child with his father saying, Daddy, I know you know what you're doing because I ain't got no idea. Excuse my colloquialism. I have no idea what you're doing, God, but this is what I do. I, is there a trust him slide on there? I trust him. I trust him. You can't trust him if you don't believe he's good, can you? about for a second submission submission is the highest expression of trust submission is the highest expression of trust it says to the person that you're submitting to I trust you 
I believe in you. And I know that you only have my good in your heart. And so, here am I. Nevertheless, not my will. Sure. If you think this sermon comes lightly, you have no idea who's preaching to you. But I know God loves me. And I know He's for me. And I know the horrible things that we go through in life will be transformed. And they will pour out of us a light of the gospel of God's grace that the world will not be able to deny. Do you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.